Hey, everybody. On this episode, I've got Peter Lohman coming on, and we're going to be talking about all kinds of fun stuff in the industry that you got to listen to. Welcome to the Property Management Mastermind Show with your host, Brad Larson. Brad owns one of the fastest growing property management companies in San Antonio, Texas. This podcast is for property managers by property managers. You'll hear from industry leading professionals on best practices, new ideas, success stories, and lessons learned. This is your opportunity to learn about the latest industry buzz surrounding property management, as well as tips and strategies to improve your business. Remember that commercial, where's the beef? In property management, you could say, where's the profit? You want your business to grow, but it feels like you're just spinning your wheels. We get it because we've been there. If you are ready to do something different in 2022, then head over to thepropertymanagementcoach.com to find out more about coaching programs and what they can do for you. Mention that you heard this ad on the Property Management Mastermind podcast and get $250 off any coaching program. Again, the website is thepropertymanagementcoach.com. Solve your communication problems and save an hour a day, every day with CompanyCam. CompanyCam is a visual first job site communication app that allows you to have all of your properties right in your pocket. CompanyCam automatically organizes unlimited property photos by date, time, and location while easily creating and sending reports to renters and owners to save time and money. Keep vendors and clients up to date on property projects from start to finish with live project timelines. Every project, photo, video, and conversation all within one app. CompanyCam. Visit CompanyCam.com and make your life easier today. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Property Management Mastermind Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Larson. And today's guest, I have a repeat guest on, Mr. Peter Lohman coming at us from Columbus, Ohio. Now, I got to tell you, Peter, I'm really digging what you're doing with the podcast you got going on. Uh, you've been guests and guest speakers for several different things in the industry. You're one of those cats that has a really good idea of what the industry is going towards and where you are and what you have going on. Now, one thing I... I grabbed you at the Narcom National Conference, and I said, hey, man, we got to do this because I, I think I can uh, maybe look at you like me 10 years ago. Like, I would have grabbed myself in a time machine and said, you got to do this, this, and this. A couple things you surprised me on, but I do think you want to uh, talk to us more about some of the things we're going to chat on now. And so that was a completely worthless intro that we gave, but I'm going to give you a minute <laughs> to tell us exactly who you are. Go ahead. It's all right. You'll get the hang of this podcast thing one of these days, Brad. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. So uh, thank you for the intro. Uh, in all sincerity, I do appreciate that. And it was great catching up at Narbum National. Um, I had a blast last time we came on uh, your show and, and recorded an episode together. So just a little brief background for those who may not be familiar. Um, I started RL Property Management here in Columbus, Ohio, almost 10 years ago now. We manage just over 700 units. We focus on single family and small multifamily residential rentals, probably like 99% of your audience does. Um, and that's kind of the summary of it. Um, we got a couple other things going on right now, but uh, I'm mostly day-to-day -day, you know, here in the management company. Nice, nice. We got lots to talk on. So one of the things that I wanted to bring up first was uh, we had talked about um, the sales side. Because mm -hmm. you've gone on to a, I think it was one of the other podcasts out there and talked about how you don't do real estate sales. And so I grabbed you and cornered you because I've been accused of being a bully. You know, everybody tells me I'm a bully. I cornered you. I said, hey, man, we got to get you into the sales world. Like, mm -hmm. we got to get you coached up to where you can go and infuse this into your business because I think you're losing a ton of value. And you're like, well, I'm good with you know, doing my own sales. And what did you exactly tell me? And then I said something to you and it just like the light bulb went off. Do you remember that? Well, I think we, yeah. So what, just to recap, so we don't do brokerage or sales. So anytime a property owner wants to buy or sell a property, we refer them out. And we have a couple uh, realtors that we have referral agreements with where we get, uh, you know, a halfway decent referral fee for that if they end up closing. And you know, you, you, yeah, you, you're like, Hey, you really got to look at this brokerage thing. It's a big moneymaker. And I've heard some people say that, uh, before, and we can talk about some of the pros and cons, but I do remember the one thing you said that got my attention and started to get me thinking about it again was the idea of cultivating like a marketplace within your property management business so that instead of a client selling a property outside your network, so you no longer manage it anymore. You, you focus a lot of effort on selling it to another client within your management business so that 
maybe you get the commission and you get to keep the the you know management of the property which is like a win-win um that was something i hadn't really thought a lot about probably because the last time i thought about this we were much smaller but now that we're bigger we have way more clients way more properties it is realistic that out of the 200 some property owners that we have if one of them wants to sell it, it's conceivable that one of the other ones might want to buy it so i'd be curious to hear like do you track what percentage of your properties that sell stay within your your uh your business or anything along those lines what's been your experience with that yeah we've had some hardcore metrics so our experience with the sales side is we've done it from day one but we've did it at a very low level internal to the family business uh until about two years ago mm -hmm. and that's where i brought on a hardcore sales division team like dedicated real estate agents that do nothing but sell homes under uh a unique split with our company and so we have we have a scaled split. It's like a staircase. And so the more transactions they close, the better their split gets. Mm -hmm. But it starts at 50-50. And so if you say, okay, well, you're going to make a, you know, $8,000 commission on one sale, you know, you get half and we get half. And we don't charge them any other, you know, BS fees or we don't have royalties like other. Desk like fees or any of that crap. Yeah. yeah, we don't even have that junk. So it's a straight up deal, but they get all of our leads. And they get they access get to your customer database is what you're saying. Correct. Yeah. And so we have we have three standing orders at the business. We first one is provide exceptional service. So we'd wordsmith the heck out of that years ago. And that's that's one of our first standing orders. It's our mantra, it's our business, you know, tagline. But then it goes into get the business, number two, and number three is keep the business. So it fits right into everything because you're going to go to your owners in your inventory and say, Look, I think you should buy five more properties and we can help you do it. And so this is something that Brad Randall does quite a bit with his with his organization out in Utah. And we did a podcast about this at uh, PMMCon last year, this last iteration. And he talks a lot about getting his current investors to buy more properties mm. and then bring them mm. to him to manage. And so naturally, you want somebody in your organization that you can control that is under your branding that is going to... Uh, be accountable to you so they don't try to poach your listings and then yeah. do something weird with them. You know what I mean? And so those things are going to be a big part of it, of just growing the business and providing exceptional service. So is this guy just, so gets access to your, uh, your customer database, your clients, your property management clients. And is he kind of like reaching out to them one by one? Hey, Jeff, I saw we're managing a duplex for you. I'd love to grab coffee, hear about your plans. And then they go have coffee and he's like, Hey, have you looked at investing? There's this one part of town. I'm seeing a lot of good deals. A lot of the other, you know, is it, or, or is it like a kind of a mass marketing where he's hitting them all like quarterly? Like what does it actually look like? A little bit of both. Cause okay. our, our portfolio, we have 1100 homes that we manage. That's probably about 800 50, 900 owners. Yeah. Wow. So we don't have any, yeah, we don't have any one chunk giant owner, but to your point, yeah, he does a, the whole team. So it's him, Manny, and these two really hit the owners hard time, hardcore. And just like you said, about once a quarter, we send out a unsolicited, uh, comparative market analysis. Mm. And so that's something that I learned a long time ago is don't wait for them to come to you and ask about selling. Mm. You hit them up all the time. So you're literally, say, this is crazy. I want to like pause here. So you're, sure. you're emailing your clients, your clients who you paid mm -hmm. good money to bring them in. And you're, you know, there's all this discussion about churn, which I know we're going to talk about, you know, you don't want churn. You're literally emailing your clients an updated like estimate of their property value quarterly. You're like, hey, here's what we think your property's worth, right? This, That's correct. Because for me, I'm like, I'm like, put the lid on, like, bottle that information, never release it. I'm going to take it to my grave because I don't want my property owners to find out how much their property's worth, and then they might get silly ideas like maybe selling. Because that, mm -hmm. that's my maybe my backwater perspective on it. Maybe that's how you used to think. Yeah, it looks, some people think like that. It's also the tenant side. We can talk that as well on the selling yeah. homes to a tenant. Uh, but on the selling side, as far as the uh, owner of the property that you manage, we want to be top of mind when they decide to sell. And when they do decide to sell, we want first dibs on it yep. to sell it to one of our investors to keep that home in the inventory. So it goes in the same long, along the same lines of point number one, provide exceptional service. So this is, this is what we're doing. We're providing them free information. And then it goes back to point three, which is keep the business. So we're trying to keep the business in-house by 
taking that over that sale, selling that home to a potential other investor. And if they want to go open market and sell it to whomever, we want to capture that commission. Now, it was pretty easy, you know, a year ago, let's say, to sell a home in our marketplace, as probably it was yours, where things have kind of slowed down a bit. It's a Facebook post away, right? And then somebody can sell their home. And they oftentimes come to you and say, yeah, Peter, we just sold our home. I sold it with my, my, uh, I sold it with somebody who from Keller Williams, I bumped into the grocery store and I just liked them and they sold my home for me. And you're like, wait yeah. a minute. You're like, we're always the last to know it. too. Yeah. It's like, and Hey, we Oh, oh what? Um, I don't know why you're still sending me, uh, my statement. Cause we actually closed on the sale a couple of days ago. It's like, what? I never, you didn't even tell me you yeah. listed it for sale. Yes, Sally agent's going to be showing up at your doorstep asking for the keys yeah. here tomorrow oh morning. God. And you're like, you sold your property. You didn't even talk to us. We could have, one, sold your home for you. Two, we could have sold it to another investor, which would have streamlined the transaction. Mm-hmm. You know, minimal inspections, minimal vacancy, et cetera. We could have done all that for you and netted you the same, if not more. And they give you some lame excuses. Oh, I just, you know, I use my cousin, right, who, mm-hmm. who, you know, just got their license. And so those things started to drive me insane. I'm like, okay, we got to get better at this. We actually hired an outside consultant. I did a podcast with her, uh, Debbie LaRiviere and her business partner. And they came and did the seminar last year at the PMM con. And it's all about honing in on the sales division and building that up. So we hired them at RentWorks, and they came in and they took us from, oh man, I can't even hardly quantify what they did, but it was, it was like 20 deals a year. We were averaging for the prior three years. And we tripled that. We did like wow. 60 last year. And so we captured all that business. And one, we got all the commissions, of course. And two, we kept about half of those in the inventory. Nice. Like 20 to 30. That's incredible. It gets easier. Yeah. And here, here's the deal. So once your team starts to get established and they start to sell a few of those homes out of your inventory, they start to identify the investors that will buy anything you put in front of them because they know, like, and trust you, and they know you're going to manage it for them. And so it's getting to the point now, if somebody wants to sell, we can capture that lead. It's a, a text message, one or two, to an investor, and they're like, yep, I'll, I'll make mm-hmm. an offer tonight, I'll write it up, and I'll, I'll sign. Got and it. So it, it's that quick. Wow. And so it took, it took a little bit to get there, but I challenge other people listening that they should really consider looking into this. And so here's the other thing. As we talk about our inventory sales, to talk about the investors, but we also go to these investors that we work with and turn them into pocket listings. Okay. So like I mentioned, if, if an owner wants to sell, we try to sell it to another owner yep. who wants to buy. And so there's also ties into multiple property ownership. So we have a program called MPO, multiple property owners. So if you own four or manage four or more units, you get a super duper awesome deal. Yeah, we do it at a discount too, yeah. Yeah, and it's advertised and we put it all out there and they see it and and they and so it's a giveaway the farm deal, right? And so we can go to the investors with three homes. Say, hey, you know, you, you buy one more home, yeah. you get this super secret squirrel deal. And it's going to be a really good deal for this MPO. Yeah, we do we do something similar to that. We we have this thing we give to all of our new owners. I got the idea from Profit Coach, and if you're listening, it's like a little trophy thing, and it's got these little bands on it. So like the first one's the Real Estate Investment Award, and then it's two plus unit award, then it's five plus unit award, and there's different levels all the way up to sixty plus units. And so we send these out to new clients, and we send them a little pamphlet with it that shows like the different levels they could achieve and we we're trying to use that as encouragement like hey you're on a journey here you know you're almost to the getting the 20 plus unit band level and every single one of these bands corresponds to a discount level so every time they get a new band they get a higher higher and higher discount on their monthly management fee great idea where'd you steal that from um well the idea for the trophy and all that came from profit coach the idea for the like discount for higher, higher and higher units, you get more and more discounts. I think that we just came up with that because I was, I was doing a little bit of secret shopping in our, in our market. I really like multifamily, small multifamily, like five to 60 unit properties. We want to manage more of those. And as I was shopping, some of our competitors who are in that space, I realized that we were way over market on the monthly management fee for like a 20 unit property or a 40 unit property. So I wanted a way to get our monthly management fees in line 
with market for those properties without discounting like our single family and, and duplexes and stuff. Um, but because even with the discount, as you know, we're making money on maintenance, we're making money on tenant benefit, we're making money in all these other ways. So we're still profitable, even if they're getting like a 30% discount on the monthly management fee. Love it, man. That's a great idea. Brad Randall would love that one. Uh, one thing I also want to talk to you about on the sales side is syndications. So I'm working through this now. I hired a coach, AJ Shepard, AJ and Chris Shepard. You probably know him. So I hired AJ to guide us on how to create a syndication. Also, Tracy Strike is one that has gone full circle on single family home syndications four times. And so he's another really good resource on this. So hear me out. So if you have X number of owners and they want to sell this syndication slash fund, whatever you want to call it, Mm -hmm. in theory, you could pull out a contract right then and there. And the syndication that you control, that you put together, is going to buy that home. Yep. And so that's very simplistically put, of course. Yeah. There's a lot that goes into that. It's not just like, you know, yeah. you just because there's the Burr method, you understand, with bigger pockets, the buy, rehab, refinance, all that good stuff. There's that. And then, of course, you have to have all the funding and the banks in line and the proper setup with your, you know, general partnership, limited partnership, all this other stuff that they're going to teach you how to do. Yeah. But that's the next level. We're not there yet, but I'm going to be by spring. Now, a year ago, we couldn't do this, right? If somebody wanted to sell, they'd be like, I'm not selling to you clowns. I'm going to put it on the open market, and I'm going to watch the bidding war happen. I'm going to sit back and entertain 10 offers in 10 minutes. And they were doing it. And people were like, well, the residential buyers were coming in from all over, you know, when they're trying to leave Ohio, which I don't blame. They're trying to leave (laughs) Ohio for Texas, of course. And they come down and they're like, I don't care. I'll pay whatever you want. You know, it's the cheapest thing I've ever seen. And uh, now we can do, we can get into the syndication discussion because the market is more in line with what it's been previously. Yeah. And it's so more sane. We actually have, it's more sane. We actually have an opportunity to work with that potential seller and say, okay, instead of you selling an open market, uh, let us just work with you on purchasing it outright from you now. So it never goes on the open market. And yeah. so. We're going to take the full weight and force of the RentWorks brand and turn that into a syndication. All right. Well, let me give you some cons on the brokerage thing to to defend myself a little bit as to why we haven't done it so far. And I, I do like some of your ideas here. I'm going to think about them. But so there's like three. There's three that I came up with as as I was thinking and refreshing my memory on why we haven't done it thus far. One is it's a distraction. It's a distraction from the property management core business. I always had in my mind this idea that you're going to have all these realtors running around and they're going to be like um, kind of interfering or, or like, oh, I need access to this unit or no, my client wants you to fix this and like kind of just messing up like our core property management operations. So that was one thing. Another thing is risk. So there's always uh, property management itself is is extremely risky and is reflected in the 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 premiums that we pay for our E and O insurance and our liability insurance. But brokerage is also risky. These buyers and sellers can get very emotional and get silly ideas about residential property disclosures and what the realtor said or didn't say. And like you see lawsuits all the time and earnest money disputes and all this nonsense around people backing out of contracts and all this other stuff. So I always view like, it's not, it's not risk-free. And then the third thing is that we've always used it as a sales technique. Well, uh, Mr. Realtor, we'd love to get your referrals because if your client ever wants to sell or buy another property, we're going to refer them right back to you because we don't do brokerage in house. So that was always like the third thing. I was like, well, we use this now. Is that how effective is that really? I don't know. Like how many deal I couldn't quantify how many units we've got from realtors who wouldn't have referred to us otherwise if it wasn't for that policy. I don't know. So a couple things. You're, you're spot on with all that, and it comes down to the risk tolerance of what you are capable of. Uh, if I said, is, is, is it worth $500 a year to do that? You would say no. If it was worth $500,000 a year in extra profit, you would probably say, yeah, it's yeah. worth it. Yeah, for sure. It just really depends on the volume. Now, I'm not advocating people go out and recruit 100 agents. Recruiting realtors is the most mind-numbing, <laughs> awful thing ever. I mean, in my first half of, of my real estate life, I was at Keller Williams, and I was about to become a team leader, which is basically you're a fancy recruiter. You're not leading anything but recruiting efforts. Noted. And 
I deferred from that. I turned right instead of going left, and I went and started my own gig on my own broker's license. But I've never been a big fan of wanting uh, 100 agents, or 500 agents. It's great when you see the checks roll in, but when they call you at 7 o'clock on a Saturday evening and ask you how to turn on their laptop, yeah, then you start to get a little irritated and that's real real stuff wow yeah poor poor young lady shirley who would you know she was pushing 70 she'd call me up when i was a you know 10 15 years ago i can't turn on my laptop you know I like, yeah oh, i, I want to get out of this so bad but the smaller scale stuff now we have a referral program like you do right so we have a 555 it's called refer 555.com so I pretty easy you, you get you come up with the best names for stuff you I, got your 555 referral what was the other the four uh, clients who have four units, what do you call that? MPO, multiple property owner. MPO. All right, what else mm-hmm. you got? What are the, Give me some of your other good names well, the, here. The Refer 555 goes back into what you were talking about is uh, if an agent from Keller Williams, you name it, whomever, yeah. refers us a deal for management, we pay them a little a $555 check, right, as soon as they lease out the home. But we have a return policy guarantee. So we bring that sale back to that agent wherever they are. So we don't burn any bridges at all. You don't okay, want to be so you known still maintain coaching. that promise even though you have it in-house. Got it. Okay, and we, that's we try to build those relationships yeah. even more. We have broker partnerships that we work with. But the other side of that is we have that small team in-house. And one thing we didn't talk about is the tenants. And so we also hit up our tenants mm-hmm. to become buyers. And tenants are you people probably too. Have, I've heard that. <laughs> that's so that's, mean. That's, that's something I would way say around. Here. That's so, you're Times such a bully here. As a property manager, it's important for your business and your bottom line to work with the right insurance partner. But getting the right coverage for all parties involved isn't always easy. That's where Steadily.com comes in. Steadily is the industry leader in landlord insurance, offering fast, affordable coverage online in just a few clicks. Steadily works with property managers nationwide to insure their portfolios of managed properties and provides guaranteed listing as additional insured with easy online visibility into property insurance coverage. With top-of-market referral fees, Steadily also helps you drive extra revenue per door while bringing tremendous value to your clients. That's why property managers nationwide rate Steadily 4.8 out of 5 stars. Find out how Steadily can save you time and help you earn extra revenue. To get started, visit Steadily.com slash partners slash PMM or email us at partners at Steadily.com and mention that you heard us on the PMM podcast. But I love it because, you know, a lot of people, I think you might have been doing this too, is you give them some sort of discount the longer they rent from you. And you can credit that back on their commission Mm -hmm. as soon as they buy a home through your brokerage. So hit them up. Now, the, the, the naysayer will say, why would you ever encourage a tenant to leave one of your properties? And I say, absolutely, you want to encourage them to buy because maybe they're going to buy and then hire you. That's one. Two is you can control their exit much better than if they were just to end the lease agreement. Here's my 30-day notice. I'm ending the lease. The time is up, and I'm leaving. And you don't have any idea why they wanted to leave, and they you find out later that they bought a home. You're like, man, I could have helped you sell that. I could have helped you buy that home, and I could have worked out an early termination with you to where – you could have left. I could have had another tenant ready to go right in, and there would have been no vacancy. So you'd have been doing your owner a favor with a possible rent raise. So if you can control that exit of a tenant when they buy a home better, you have lots of opportunities inside of there to make a commission and ease that transition when that tenant leaves so the owner ends up winning. Got it. So it really it helps on both sides if you really think about the control of that. Interesting. It's good stuff. This is good stuff. I feel like this is a who, not how for me. I need to bring in the right person who can build out this division. Every, I'm just going to send him this podcast and be like, go listen to this podcast with Brad. Everything he just talked about, come back to me in 90 days when it's all done, and you'll get a big bonus. So if you're that person and you're listening, give me a call. <laughs> yeah, exactly. See, a couple things. So recruiting. Um you would think it'd be easy to recruit this one key person or two key people to be on your real estate brokerage side because you can't give these leads out to like four or five agents. You know, you got to have one key person yeah. going to divvy up the leads. The other thing is, we're not going to do um, it all themselves. We're not realtors here, so we would have to 
buy into that and start paying the stupid realtor fee every month or every year, it's, it's kind of expensive. Right. Cause you have to get into the MLS. Yeah. We're not in the MLS, like any of that. Yeah. Yeah. So, that right, would so be that, part that's of it. getting discounted from the overall. <laughs> yeah. Cost. And so we would pay for the MLS fees on behalf of that agent. And then yep. it's a, it's a, it's like a staircase, you know, as I mentioned earlier and the commission. So that's their incentive. You know, they hit to a certain level of transactions and I go by transactions, not dollar volume. Cause they can't control if the home is worth 200,000 or 500,000, they can't control that, but they can control the number of transactions they're doing by the amount of activity. Yeah. That we do this producing. with our, with our sales guy, our BDM, like there's a stair step uh, for the commission. So when you were recruiting these realtors and, and I, like, I totally agree that like, you don't want to have five. You want to have like two or three really, really good ones. Are you pulling in people that have tons of experience, big networks, they've been there, they've sold a hundred homes, or are you pulling in people who are newer, they're inexperienced and you can kind of train and model them in the way you want them to be? I would prefer the hungrier agent. Okay. Now we got pretty lucky and we got a retired air force recruiter. So recruiters know how to sell. I mean, they are trained salespeople. Mm. Understand? He was an Air Force recruiter, oh, and he was probably yeah, yeah. yeah. He was probably within his first year of real estate, and so we brought him in, and he's just he's just been a perfect fit, killing it, right? Because he understands the sales process. The follow up is key, and he's just a he's just a solid character. And so you're looking for somebody like that. If they get to be a little big, they turn out to be a little snooty, and I don't want yeah. to say mean things about that, but you understand, you've seen the agents that. You know, they, they drive Mercedes. They think and they walk they, on water. Yeah. Correct. Totally. Yeah, correct. And so they're never going to really work out for you. And the rookies, you're going to have to teach them to tie their own shoes. So you kind of want something in the middle there. Okay. And, I, yeah, that's that's always going to be one of the challenges on that is finding the right fit. You should. Uh, you you have, a, like, a little course on how to do this that you put Man, together or anything like that? All right. I wish. Uh, you know how we found this one is we started posting on Facebook in, in certain areas. No, like I mean like a, certain groups. like a course on how to build out everything you just described. Or did you say you hired some uh, consultants who helped you with it? We did. Yeah. Okay. We hired some consultants, some uh, their Middleton Elite Coaching. And they did a seminar again at PMMCon last year. Okay. So they're on our podcast list. You can look them up and, and listen to their podcast. And, you know, I thought they did a really good job for us. So I'm I'd recommend look them. Yeah, and they're gonna have a they're gonna have a time frame. You know, you're not gonna hire them for six years. You're gonna give them six years or or six months or a year, and that's about it. I mean, to me, you can't really. There's only so much they can shove down your throat to where you just got to go out and do it. Yeah, got it. Okay, cool. Yeah, I thought that was a pretty good pretty good shot on that. I know there's one more point I was gonna make on it, uh, but I totally forgot. <laughs> oh well, <laughs> that's all right. You'll think of it halfway through the next topic. Halfway through, yeah. Now. The other thing we want to talk on is I'm really glad to hear is buying and or purchasing a building, mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, I really, I meant uh, building or purchasing a building because uh, you mentioned that you own your own building mm -hmm. and we're in the middle of getting ready to close on our shell and then finish out in our own building. Oh, you're building right and, now. Okay, great. Correct. Correct. And it's been a long time making. I mean, we're 10 years in business and we're just now getting to the point where we're, we're purchasing a building. Yeah. We weren't too and, far behind you. We were renting. Um, we rented for the first eight years and then we just purchased this building I'm in right now um, a year and a half ago. So uh, we're coming up on 10 years in business, but yeah, we were renting, renting, renting. We rented two different places and then a year and a half ago, we bought this building and it's been great. So I want to hear you describe your purchase or your build, but I want to talk about some of the tax benefits that you can realize when you own your own building. That's exactly why I wanted to bring this discussion up because to me, I'm copying the folks ahead of me uh, that are to, to me in the major leagues. Like if you own your own building, man, that's like the next level. So you're you're there and you get it. And I look around like this market, like Brian Birdie, uh, he owned his own building or still does. Uh, the late and great Kevin Knight, you know, he owned his own building, one of my mentors. And so I look at them, it's like, you know what, I got to get there too. But it did take me 10 years. And so what we did is we decided to build from scratch. So I just happened to get lucky. There was a development that's in a really good location in the, in the area. Uh, the building executive offices around 5,800 square foot. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I did that with an SBA loan. So 
there's lots of discussion points on that. Some people say go to a local bank, uh, put 20% down. Some people say go to a hard money person, you know, a private money equity person to do this. For me, I chose the SBA route um, because it's 10% down. And it wasn't hard to qualify for that because if you are in business a long enough time, they want to see just progress. They want to see consecutive years with strong numbers, you know, strong revenue, strong profits. And then they say, okay, well, crap, you're wasting 10 grand a month in rent. Uh, the payment on a building like this is going to be 10 grand. So it evens out, right? Yeah. You're seeing that you're paying that already. So what has your experience been so far in it? Yeah. So, um, like I said, we rented and that was the right choice for us at the time. Cause when you're starting out, you're growing typically. So you don't want to buy a huge building you're going to occupy 10% of. So we rented and then we outgrew that. We rented another place. And then um, we actually looked at building as well. We were getting pretty close to buying a piece of land and building on it, but it didn't work out. So we ended up finding this place we are now, which is a, um, it's like a uh, warehouse condo arrangement. So there's like 20 units here and we bought one of the units. It's about 7,000 square feet. There's about 3,500 or 3,000 square feet of finished office and then a big warehouse. So it works great for us because we do a lot of our own maintenance. And so we have that warehouse space available. We've got some nice cubicles. We've got offices, nice little reception area. Um, the One of the great things about owning your own building, I mean, of course, you're just like owning your own home instead of renting, like you're sort of capturing that appreciation and you're sort of paying yourself rent, which is all great. There, the benefits of renting are the flexibility of course. So if your business is quickly growing, it wouldn't make sense to buy a place and then you outgrow it in 18 months. That's kind of a waste. But one of the nice things now is with all the remote talent and global team, uh, remote team members, global talent is you don't need as much in house. So say, say for every two people you hire, one of them is a remote team member. You have a lot more runway in your office space than you did five years ago when that wasn't really a thing. So I think it makes more sense to buy and you can, you can spend more time in a space before you outgrow it, which is nice. The, the real benefit though, of buying any real estate, including your own building is this cost segregation combined with bonus depreciation. If you haven't looked into this, it's a big deal. Um, if you buy or build a building, you can have something called a cost segregation study done. You have an engineer come through and look at everything in the building from the wiring to the roof, to the furnaces, to the finishes, all, all the, um, capital items. And they'll produce a report that says you, these various items are at these various stages of life remaining. And so instead of allocating like they usually do like 80% of the purchase price to the structure and 20% to the land or whatever. Anyway, you, you and you have to depreciate that 80% over 27 and a half years. You get to accelerate a lot of those items. And the long story short of it is you get to write off a huge amount in one year. And because of this law, which I think is phasing out at the end of this year or something, um, you can do even a bonus depreciation, which, which makes it even better. I'm probably getting a few of those details a little bit wrong. But the main idea is you can offset earned income, especially as a real estate professional, with this bonus depreciation when you buy a building and do a cost segregation study. So we did that last year. It was great. It saved us a ton of money on taxes and highly recommended. Great, great explanation because that's really a big part of it. Um, you know, we decided to maintain the office building concept here in this market where we are because we wanted we want to be the marquee player in the area. Mm -hmm. And so I have a you know we're going to have a big giant marquee sign on a 10 lane interstate called 1604 in San Antonio. And everyone's gonna be able to see our building and see our signage, mm -hmm. but that was a conscious decision. Now, the other side of that, Peter, is we could, we could almost go down the road of everybody working from home, right? You have, you have one little reception, maybe, yeah. or not. You could probably get away without it. You could probably get, you know, do a roll of post office box if you really wanted. And then everybody worked from home somehow. I mean, you could you could go down that road. Yeah, people right? do this. People do. I know. I, I know. And then they had the remote team members. And um, okay, well, you got to take in a security deposit. Do it electronically via wire. Okay, you got to deliver keys. Well, you stash the keys in a lockbox at the home. Mm -hmm. Okay, they they got to walk in and pay rent. Nope, nobody's paying rent in person. You're all paying electronically. I mean, there's ways to skin that, but I think to me it made more sense to allow the business 
to pay for the asset, which is that building. And so I'm very excited to have that as another investment that is a side, basically a side event of the property management business itself. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's like you, you get to buy a piece of commercial real estate or build and you get to collect the rent every month and you never have to worry about not getting paid because it's your own business. So yeah, I was hitting up Mark Cunningham just a little bit ago. I said, Hey, do you own your own building? And he said, no, they don't, but they, uh, manage the property for the landlord and they get a big discount. <laughs> I said, who do you know that owns their own building? You said, Bonnie Barberini just bought one. Uh, so that's a pretty neat, uh, name drop. Kyle Hendricks here in San Antonio owns one. And so you own one. I'm very excited to hear that because what I'm trying to say, gang, is I think this is something you should all consider. Definitely. So if you if you think you're like, well, we're comfortable here in this rental space and all that, it's the same rent versus buy argument that we would give uh, people that are renting a home. Right. Why are you renting a home? Why don't you buy a home? Well, I don't want to, I don't know if I'm going to be here. Fine. Buy an investment property then yeah. rent until you leave, but buy an investment home. Yeah. And the great thing is, you know, you went through SBA, which is great. And if you talk to local banks, I really encourage you to talk to local banks here and credit unions and go to them and just say, Hey, we're a business. We've been in business X number of years. We do X in revenue. Um, we're growing. And we'd like to buy a building and owner-occupied. Use those words, not just because it's the name of my podcast, but because if you say the word owner-occupied to a bank in relation to buying a commercial building, they in, you have their attention, right? Because they love doing owner-occupied loans. They're lower risk for them. And typically, you can do a lower down payment and pay a lower interest rate or even a longer amortization schedule if you're buying a piece of commercial property and you're going to owner-occupy at least 51% of it. So there's really good deals out there for commercial buildings to owner occupy in terms of the loans that are available. Yeah, that's a great point because the local banks, again, they're going to do roughly 20% down. At least that's been my experience. I mean, maybe somebody would do 15% if you have all your money with them, mm -hmm. which I don't encourage you because you should be banking with enterprise. Now, if, if you don't, that's fine, but expect 20%. Now, Side again, note, enterprise, though, please place a bank in the state of Ohio so that we can use you. <laughs> please, please, please. I'm literally <laughs> shopping for banks right now because enterprise is in Ohio, and with interest rates going up, I'm literally getting 0% on our trust account right now, and if you saw the number that was in there, you'd cry. So if you're listening and you are a bank that operates in Ohio, please call me. Enterprise, love you guys. Please open a branch because the state of Ohio won't allow me to bank unless there's a physical branch. What a bummer because they've yeah. been fantastic. For I know. Us. I hear everyone loves them. Everyone loves yeah. them. Yeah. 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 They, they really have built themselves around the property management industry, at least in that faction. And Allison Desario has been, been fantastic to work with and her team. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's not just she's a great marketer, of course. Uh, but her team really does a good job for us. So this is not a like a you know feel good episode for Enterprise, but sponsored by really, Enterprise. That's what that's what you told me. Sponsored by the Enterprise. Beginning. Yeah. Yeah. No. Just kidding. Yeah. Exactly. But, but yeah, you're so, the guy that does all the sponsorships. <laughs> you know, you, you got the big money yeah. going. <laughs> so our, our we actually bought an engineering company last year and also bought a building for that business to operate out of. So I actually own two buildings that two businesses operate out of, and I forget which one, but I think one of them we did actually get fifteen percent down. Because again, this owner-occupied thing is such a big deal. And the other thing I would say when you're shopping for a loan is like these banks, these freaking banks, let me tell you something about these banks. They all say the same stuff about customer service and helping your business grow and being a partner and offering solutions for blah, 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 blah. Every bank, every local bank in your area has a focus. Okay. Some of them are focused on mortgages for homeowners. Some of them are focused on main street operating accounts. They want the deposits from main street businesses. Some of them are focused on coal, like whatever, like they're all, they all have like a different focus. They all have a different geographic focus and they all have a different type of product and customer that they love to do business with typically because the people who founded the bank came out of that industry. So what you need to find where you live is the bank that specializes in financing owner-occupied commercial businesses. And there's probably a few of them because this is a pretty common thing in business. Banks like this type of business. But if you go to a, a bank that doesn't focus on this, 
they're going to give you the runaround and chew up all this time and waste an unbelievable amount of time. They're asking you a bunch of dumb questions and they're never going to come out and say to you, this isn't really our thing. They will never say that. They will just waste a bunch of your time and the rates that you get back aren't going to be good because the bank doesn't have an appetite. That's the word that they use internally is we just don't have an appetite for commercial lending right now. We don't have an appetite for real estate. Like it's the same thing when you're buying rental properties, right? You want to find a bank that loves financing duplexes. Some banks hate duplexes. They don't want to finance multifamily. They want to finance the homeowner W2 guy. Some banks love doing duplexes. They do a mil, they do to ask them how many they do a year. How many loans do you make for real estate investors every year? Right? Some of these banks love doing like the multifamily loans. They do them all day, every day. So you got to find the banks in your area that are doing the thing that you're trying to do. Go talk to them and you're gonna have the easiest experience ever. Cause guess what? They do like 500 of these a year. And the other bank you're talking to, that's saying the same thing, but you don't know it. They do like three of these a year and they don't know anything about what they're talking about when it comes to how to get the loan actually through. Yeah. I'm, I'm no expert at doing this, right? I'm kind of stumbling through. We're going to close on our shelf finally sometime the end of this year. And then the finish out, Oh my God, the finish out dude is yeah. just like so crazy. Too many decisions. Uh, no, it's so expensive right now. It's not even, it's not even, uh, I can't convey to you how maddening it is because Things are, I can't say double, but they're 25% more than they were a year ago. Yeah. And then probably 40% more than they were two years ago. And just everything has gone up. So the finish out of becoming a, a stupid, high, expensive endeavor. But we're going to get what we want. So, for example, one of the things I wanted was uh, a very secure entrance or entrances. Mm -hmm. And so the only way to get into the building, you can get into the entrance, right? The little, you know, atrium by eight entrance, yeah. atrium. You can get in there, but then we have cameras. Get a buzz them in or whatever. Yep, yep, yep. We had that at our old office because it was on, it was on kind of a scary road, uh, like downtown. Yeah, yeah. That's one of the things I really wanted, just to make the team feel safe, so everybody yeah. you know has a good time. And then of course we got a big conference room in there and all that good stuff. But that aside, so what we wanted to potentially touch on now is you and I did a podcast. I don't know a year ago, year and a half ago, about security deposits, and so you had a. We had a pretty good conversation about that to where people are coming into certain markets, certain areas, and I would call it a little bit of lobbying effort, and they're going to the decision makers and or lawmakers and telling them, hey, you should allow this fee in lieu of a security deposit and then require that they purchase insurance. And so back up a little bit and give us a paraphrase of what they did in Ohio and kind of what you did as an advocate to fight against it. Yeah. So, um, in Ohio, in Columbus specifically, um, there was a group that came in and lobbied our city council to, and they give it this very pleasant sounding name called renter's choice, renter's choice <laughs> legislation, everybody who, who would be against renters getting to choose things. Yeah. So the idea is, um, you pass a law, uh, at the city level that requires landlords to allow tenants a choice when it comes to security deposit. They can either pay the security deposit in full, or they can pay the security deposit installments, or they can pay the not pay security deposit in lieu of a security deposit alternative product, um, an insurance type type of product. So um, if, if a law like this has passed near you or where you live, it's probably been because of this lobbying effort by this group that just so happens to sell the insurance product that is getting basically mandated. Um, so yeah, I wrote a big blog post on this and you and I chatted about it kind of when this was really hot, like, yeah, it was like at least a year ago, maybe two years ago. Um, cause we were in our old office. I remember, um, and so I haven't really kept up with it since I did all that research and compiled all that info. So I don't know what's kind of been happening recently in the space very much. I do know that that law did pass in Ohio, in Columbus here locally, but it was a watered down version. At the very last minute, they scrapped the part about, in, about requiring the insurance. But we do have to allow our residents the option to pay the security deposit in installments. So that has been a thing that we've just kind of adopted to and gotten used to here. Um, but yeah, that's that's the kind of summary. Yeah, so we've had some big changes here in Texas. Property code 92.111 was adopted and went into effect 1st of September 2021. And what that all said in a nutshell is if you're going to offer a fee 
It's an optional offering. You don't have to offer this, but if you are going to offer a fee in lieu of a security deposit, that fee is supposed to be the same as a security deposit. <laughs> so wrap your head around that first. Yeah, okay? what exactly makes sense. You're squinting your eyes at me because exactly. Like, why would you do this then? Why would you let somebody break up a security deposit uh, interest-free on a monthly basis? If you do that, if you offer a fee in lieu of a security deposit, you're supposed to also purchase insurance with that fee. It doesn't say how much. It doesn't say what your coverage is supposed to be. It doesn't say what a deductible is supposed to be. It doesn't even tell you what you're supposed to do with the spare change. Mm -hmm. So if you collect 20 and spend 10, what do you do with the other 10? So all this has been very vague. I've gone through two attorneys. We finally figured out exactly how to do this. Uh, we went through uh, RIS insurance to do this. And we got security deposit insurance. So we charge the tenant a certain amount per month. We got a little bit of an admin fee in there. And then we get $1,500 in coverage per tenant. And it's all mandated. And it's all our website and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And it took a lot of investigation to figure that out. And there's some pretty good players in the market that can help. But it's something that we, as soon as we get it figured out and implemented, they're going to change it because <laughs> yeah. the Texas Association of apartments, they came out with a form and it totally contradicts exactly what the property code says. So I'm like, don't these attorneys talk to each other? Like, how do they have this property code saying one thing and the form saying the exact opposite? Mm -hmm. So th this has been, they just kind of like ruined a really good concept so far. And hopefully they can figure this out in the future. But to your point, I think a vendor got to the lawmakers and said, hey, why don't you do this, this fee? and then mandate insurance, and we just happen to be lurking over in the corner waiting for people to contact us to uh, be legally compliant. Yeah. Yeah, The you know, these groups get a hold of these lawmakers, and um, it's just, I don't know if it's criminal, but it's, it's, it's unethical, basically, because you're giving the lawmakers half the story. Right. And the lawmakers aren't getting the other side of these stories. And th there's similar things happening around, um, like at, right around the same time we had a law pass saying that, uh, basically we have to accept section eight. Um, it's more complicated than that, but that's the two second summary. And what doesn't get discussed or what doesn't get presented to the lawmakers is like the unintended side effects of these laws. It's like, you take medicine for something and there's a side effect. Well, what if no one ever told you about any of the side effects, right? And you, mm -hmm. and you just weren't given that information. Like that would be horrible. Well, that's what's happening with the lawmakers is they're getting one side of the story, but they're not, they're not being told about the side effects. So I think a lot of these um, ideas around housing and um, trying to make housing more available and more, more affordable, um, they start with the best of intentions. Like we all would love for housing to be more available and more affordable for everybody, but you can't, it's like trying to take two plus two and make it equal five. You can like move the blocks around however many different ways you want and stack them on top of each other and put them side by side and put one under the other one. You still only have four blocks. You don't have five. So playing games with laws and making different rules about who you can accept and how they can pay and all this, that's not actually making any more housing. In fact, it's actually doing the opposite. Because the harder and harder you make it for landlords, the less and less they're going to want to provide housing. Why would they go to, out of their trouble? All this you're you're going through this all this hassle of building one office for you. Imagine how complicated and difficult it is to build a big apartment complex for all these different people. The harder and harder you make that, the less and less developers are going to do it. It's just crazy to me. It's like it's like these people are taking crazy pills or think they're just going to move move pieces around on the board and suddenly have twice as many checker pieces like i don't know it's, it's well the, the red tape and regulation you mentioned is absolutely just killing the single family home starter business industry like nobody wants to build affordable housing they call it because there's so much regulation so much red tape and there's no profit in it because the powers that be just get in their way affordable it's housing like the only... is the biggest scam it's the biggest yeah. scam it's like imagine if there was laws that required there to be affordable cars like you don't, you don't need that. Guess what? There's no shortage of cars because if you need an affordable car, you just buy a used car. That was my first car. I bought a used car. And then my car after that was a used car. And just recently, like two years ago, I'm 37. I bought my first ever brand new car. Right. And it's like not even a super nice one. Um, so all these rules around fair housing, 
they're just it's so stupid it's it's actually the people who are making money on this if you actually follow the money all the way back it's actually developers ironically advocating for affordable housing because they get all these tax benefits and all this other stuff um it so it, yeah you you actually just need to re- reduce and remove zoning regulations and and all the other impediments to building more housing and then people will build more housing because guess what developers want to do they want to build housing they're in the business of doing that they're in the business of of making as many apartments and homes as they possibly can and the harder you make it for them to do that the fewer they're going to build and the more expensive everything is going to become so if there was actually a well-functioning supply line of homes and apartments that wasn't being held up by every single local jurisdiction requiring setback rules and shadow lines and parking and all this other crap, then there would be way more homes and apartments being built. And then there would be more competition. This is America, right? So the the housing providers would then be competing for the residents. And what does that mean? That means lower prices, not necessarily the best thing in the world if you're a landlord, but if we're truly trying to solve the affordable housing crisis, we need more supply. Well, guess what happens when something goes wrong with that home, whatever it could be, a broken toilet, people lawyer up and lawyers sue. Yeah. And these builders then have to defend themselves from these attorneys, lawyers coming after them for no reason. And it just gets to the point where there's nobody advocating for anything to be built because these attorneys are just waiting for something to go wrong oh, so that's they can tear them down. Yeah, it's like, think about it. it's like doctors. We need some sort of like tort reform in like the building industry. Is that like a big problem in Texas? Like builders getting sued? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, all the time. Interesting. And builders getting sued. You got trucking company getting sued. There are these blood-sucking attorneys with billboards and commercials everywhere just waiting for somebody to call them because an 18-wheeler bumped into them, you know, and then they sue them for $50 million. And guess what? The insurance is a scam there. And then these attorneys are, are scamming themselves. It's just, uh, don't get me started. But I do want to talk about one last thing. Okay, we're going to switch gears. We've talked about a lot of good my, stuff today, a lot of different I know, stuff. I, I want to keep my blood pressure, you know, just High. even keel. First, I'm going to play a fun game. I'm going to guess what Peter drives. So Peter bought a brand new car two oh, years no. ago, and it was, drum roll please, I'm using my Genie Powers crystal ball. It was a... Lexus four-door. Nope. It was a Nissan Leaf electric plug-in car. It's like the poor man's Tesla, kind of. I was about to say. I was going to say Honda Accord, but I'm like, man, I thought... We had had a Honda Accord. I bought a Honda Accord. My wife drove a Honda Accord for like six years, so I'll give you credit for that one. I was close. We would still have it if if it hadn't been an accident a few months ago, and we got a minivan because we got baby number two on the way, so we had to get a minivan. Congrats on that. Thanks. Minivan Peter. That's, yes. That's fitting. All right, your turn. You can guess. So what you drive? Yeah, it's a oh, Chevy game, Silverado. I mean, I don't... Chevy Silverado 2500. Close. It's an F250. But All right. You're, you're basically, basically the same car. Come on. Come on. <laughs> close. It's nailed it. Cadillac. I'm calling that nailed it. Texas Cadillac, baby. You know how it is. All right. So last thing we want to talk about is uh, our man, D.C., Daniel Craig. Uh, he's the the runner up in the ping pong championship in the property management world. So I'm I'm king, and he's runner up. Is that true? No, it's not. Oh, okay. He actually kicks my ass every time we play <laughs> ping pong, and I'm really mad about it. So next time, DC, I'm gunning for you. But Daniel Craig has done a great job with a benchmarking study, the NARPM NARPM accounting study, uh, standards in the benchmarking study. Hundred so percent. He's done a great job with this. Now, he just came out with something really interesting because it correlates to this whole argument of this churn thing. Got all these people in the space screaming, churn, churn, churn. How do you stop it? Well, it's not resident experience necessarily, uh, and it's not what you charge per rent because he came out with this really interesting stat, and please correct me if I butcher it. It basically is some sort of an aggressiveness stat, so please help me explain it. Yeah, so the idea here, they're calling it RPU aggressiveness, which RPU is is revenue per unit. So, there, of course, there was a lot of discussion and still is around revenue per unit. Or, you know, are you making $100? Are you making $200? Are you making $300? Some people are even making north of that in terms of dollars per unit per month. And RPU aggressiveness, if I'm remembering my details right, is as a percentage of rent, 
how much is your revenue per unit? So to take a really extreme example, which would be high on the RPU aggressiveness score, if your rent was $1,000 a month, like your average rent for your portfolio, and you were making $500 a month per unit as your RPU, that would be extreme RPU aggressiveness. It would be 50%. The light, like the opposite version of that would be like, if your, if your average rent was like $3,000 a month and you were only making $100 a month, as a revenue per unit, then that would be super, super low percentage. So they came out with some interesting graphs around like RPU aggressiveness as a function of profitability and some other stuff. Um, really interesting to read that. And I was fascinated by this because there, it seems to me that there has to be a correlation between RPU aggressiveness and churn. So for people who are on the absolute bleeding edge of resident benefit packages, owner benefit packages, high monthly fee, high leasing fee, high lease renewal fee, so they're capturing a massive chunk of revenue per door, there's a limit to that, right? They can only get so high before the owners are just like, this is crazy, this is too expensive, I'm not gonna sign up, and you think that they would churn out. So I'm really interested to see if there's data that shows there's a correlation between RPU aggressiveness and churn um, now, maybe it's the case that those owners who were put off by that would never sign up in the first place. And I guess you would see that show up in like your closing rate or something. But um, yeah, you and I were talking a little bit about like, we're all talking about churn, but how much of the churn is in the control of the property manager and how much of it is just the market? I think Mark Cunningham, if I remember right, I was listening to him, I think. And he was basically like, he's kind of taken an opposite position and is like, your churn has, has almost nothing to do with you unless you're really, really bad or really, really good. Your churn has to do with your market. If you're in a market that is um, hot, and it's a hot sales market, people are going to sell. If you're in a market that's dead, then people aren't going to sell. And that's going to basically define your churn experience. I, I, I could be getting that wrong. Maybe it wasn't him, but um, I think that's what I remember. No, we can give credit for that because I, I think he's spot on with it. I think your, your market is going to define your churn to a certain level. Yes, we're going to screw up. Yes, we're going to get crazy retarded owners that want to you know, have us do illegal things and we're going to fire them. So mm -hmm. those scenarios are going to happen. But what was interesting about this aggressiveness stat, this RPU, was the more aggressive, as you said, the bleeding edge folks that are revenue maximizing the yeah, uh, fee heck maxing. out of their portfolios. Yep. Correct. Those, those fee maxers they're not losing any more than anybody else's. Mm. So the churn is pretty so why don't solid they go across more? the board. Why don't they charge that's more? That's the point. That's what, that's what Daniel was trying to explain to me. He's like, well, the people that are low on the RPU, they have room to go up, and they're not going to affect the churn any further. Interesting. Now, maybe we butchered this explanation, but it was a new <laughs> statistic he pulled out this year. Yeah. And the, the spirit of what we just talked about is pretty spot on to, to say that, you may be fee maxing, but it's not affecting your churn like you think it would. It's actually helping you, and you're not losing doors because you charge a few more fees. And so your aggressiveness stat is actually pretty consistent throughout the the you know the lower ones versus the higher ones. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that 98% of property managers, probably myself included, could charge a higher revenue per unit through a variety of different fees and programs and stuff. And, and it wouldn't affect their churn. I think that's not why most people are losing clients. I, I do worry a little bit about the fee maxing movement within our industry. Um, I, I'm a big believer in free markets and I love the idea of all these companies all over the United States incubating different ideas and trying out different things and seeing what works and, and providing value to, to our customers, the property owners and the residents. And we're all kind of like experimenting and figuring out what works. What I do get a little bit concerned about is if I think about the customer side of it, like the property owner, as they're trying to shop for a property management company to use to manage their rentals, how transparent and how much of this is getting disclosed prior to them signing that management agreement? Like it realistically, if I was a, a property owner and I wasn't an expert in the industry and hadn't been doing this for 10 years professionally, I was just some guy who just bought a duplex or someone whose mother passed away and I inherited her property and it wasn't the right time to sell. So I wanted to rent it out. How reasonable is it for me to go talk to five property managers and read through all their contracts and all their websites and try and understand all this language around tenant benefit packages and what's the impact of that on the rent they can charge and everything else to, to understand 
what I'm buying, right? Because I don't know. It's like kind of reminds me of buying a car at a car dealership where the price that's on the website isn't actually the price anymore. And we all hate that. We, you know, you end up, you walk out of the dealership, you feel like you got robbed because, oh, there's a dealer fee. Oh, there's a dealer fee. Really? There's a dealership fee. Why isn't that like, isn't that what you are? You're a dealership. Like, why is that a separate fee? Why isn't that just included in the price of the car? Like, and there's like five things like that. So I don't know. Like it's, do we need some kind of like a, standardized pricing kind of like the ingredients thing when you go to the store and you look at the package of bread you flip it over it's got that usda or whatever it is um standardized label showing the calories and the sugars and the percent daily value like do we need something like that for our industry so that consumers can shop property management companies and compare apples to apples or do we want to wait for the ftc to mandate us to to do that like i don't know I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm way out to lunch here with what I'm with what I'm saying. But I don't think we want to wait for another regulatory body to come in because you know they're going to mess it up. Um, are we to the point where we need to come up with something like this? I don't know. I don't know. Well, conceptually, you're spot on with a few things, and one of them is having some sort of consistency in the marketplace. Yeah. And so I would encourage people to seek or shop. Meaning, you look around to your left and right, look at your other property management uh, companies look at you, look at the multifamily companies and what they're charging and their moving fees, their leasing fees, all the other junk that you're talking about. But I do think we're somewhat consistent across the board as far as unintentional. I mean, a lot of people are charging similar amounts, right? And we've secret shopped, you know, San Antonio and Austin, and you'd be surprised at the old standby X and X. You know, property management fee and X leasing fee. It's just like, oh my God, it's rinse and repeat. And so one of the things that we did is we did the flat fee. Yeah. Well, guess what? Uh, we're losing. So one January, we're going up. We're raising our prices in one jan- on start of one January. Yeah, we, we're flat fee as well. reciprocally. And, yeah, we're flat fee as well. And we also tend to raise our price either every year or every other year. Um, yeah. Because it doesn't equate like a, the percentage base. We're not folks, keeping up with right? market rent. Yeah. Correct. And we're going to see a huge spike in the rents, I think, in the next six months, year, 18 months. Because it's just supply and demand, and then you have it. It always incrementally goes up right behind interest rate raises. So we're going to continue to see the, the rental rates raise on a you know a consistent basis, not like 20% all of a sudden, but very consistently kind of tick up. Yeah. You agree? Man, that's... I'm all, I'm almost tired now. We've talked for a good it's hour. Been, yeah, we had some intense uh, intense. This is good though. This was fun. We talked talked a lot about a lot of different really relevant things. I think to our industry. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, uh, hope to see you at the Property Manager Mastermind Conference in Nashville, Tennessee. That's going to be the end of March, March 29, 30, 31. I've got, I've got a brother in Nashville with uh, with a new baby, so I should probably head down there and link that up. You should ask him where that location is because we're at the Hyatt Regency, which is on Broadway. And Broadway is the music row. So you can literally come out of the hotel, turn left, go walk five minutes, and you are right in the middle of the best part of Nashville. And so that's where our conference is going to be. And so I would encourage What's everyone the date to check again? it out. March 29, 30, 31. Okay. And this year we have really good room rates finally because I'm so sick of Vegas. Don't get me started on that whole conversation. <laughs> but uh, they were not playing friendly with us last year at the Mastermind Conference. They didn't want to give us – these same room rates before and after. Oh. So this year we have a really good venue where Hyatt Regency is honoring the same you know, block of mm-hmm. room rate a week before and a week after. So if you want to make the trip to Vegas, uh, excuse me, a trip to Nashville, that's the time. Spend a couple days before, a couple days after, bring your family, have a really good experience, and we're going to have a great time masterminding because I think you're going to see that's that's where the magic is held. It's it's the speakers are going to be really cool. I've got Iron Cowboy lined up. I've got some really good speakers. Uh, but I also think that the masterminding, that's where the magic happens, man, just like this conversation you and I just had. Mm-hmm. Yep. Love it. Love it. Highly recommend making it to that. I'm going to try and come down and link that up with a visit to my brother. I just looked, and my daughter has no school that week anyway, so maybe we'll bring the whole family down there. Yeah. Are you sure the Honda Leaf is going to make it? Uh, no, we will not be taking the Honda Leaf. <laughs> We will take the Honda Odyssey, the Nissan Leaf. We will take the Honda Odyssey, or we will fly. <laughs> All right. Good stuff, my man. Hey, All right. Peter, really appreciate you coming on, and it's uh, been a fantastic conversation. Thanks again. Thanks, Brad. This is fun. Imagine a world 
where the phone doesn't ring, but tenant leads still get pre-qualified and scheduled. Where in-person showings get coordinated automatically in real time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Where occupants and owners are automatically notified of showings and leasing reports. Or imagine, no one has to show your rentals and they get leased faster than ever, safely and securely. That's the world of Tenant Turner. Come learn more about our beautiful scheduling software and world-class customer support. Call us, 888-976-4638 or visit www.tenantturner.com. This has been a podcast episode by propertymanagementproductions.com. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, leave us feedback, and come back for our next episode.